So I run up and get a banana and I'm like, eat it. Eat the banana. <laughs> eat the banana. And then he's eating, he ate like five sixths of it. It's like, I'm done. I'm like, you finish that banana. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so okay. that's. So, yeah. Record the intro now. Just so, what is. Milkless. Because we, I think we start with the name. Two dads. We love our kids. But then we also need them to know that we're like pretty cool and it's not like a wimpy podcast. So, hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. Milkless. Hey, welcome. Hey. Hey, hey, Milkless. Call the audience, Milkless. What's up, Milkless? <laughs> Matt and Max coming at you. What if that's it? <laughs> that's our first take. Okay, so discipline, consequences, punishment. What are we really talking about here? We're talking about, you know, keeping the kids in line? Are we talking about kids talking back? You know, everybody has that feeling where you kind of lose control of the house a little bit, where you're just like, what am I doing here? My kids aren't really listening to me. How do we deal with this? And Matt, what do we mean when we talk about discipline, consequences, and punishment for the the episode today? Yeah, I mean... People approach this really differently and people get really fired up about it um, because nobody likes to have another parent tell them they're doing it wrong. So we'll try to not do that. I think maybe we work backwards from like, what is the goal? So when your kid does something that can't be happening all the time um, and you have this, this, this moment, this interaction, what is your goal there? Well, I think what you're also framing, which we haven't even really talked about, is that you need to have a goal. Because at the end of the day, I always think that we're just animals, you know, I'm just like a big ape. And if you let, you know, a kid throws his, you know, pudding at your face, if you don't have a plan already, the natural inclination is to freak out at that kid and yell. Um, that's not the goal. So I think what, what even to take a step back, you know, one step further back is the, I think the goal is to have a goal. Yeah. For me, it's just like, I want to make sure that the kids know what the boundaries are and then the real, real tough part, and I've sampled a lot of people, um, is basically finding out how to have that end of the line so that they know that there are consequences when they step outside. And whether those are consequences in real life, you are walking on a very thin, high fence, and maybe the consequences are they get hurt. Or if they're going to color on the wall, and I told, asked them you know, five times not to do that, maybe establishing some consequence if they do that to understand that that's what life's all about. So for me, it's trying to grow a well-adjusted adult that understands that, okay, here are the kind of rules of engagement. We're going from an ape to this human that works in this world of different social constructs and that life has consequences. So trying to establish the guardrails and then also, I don't know, manufacture those consequences outside of there. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting if you think about the word discipline, it also means like, oh, his discipline is medicine. His or her discipline is law. So it comes from disciple, which is a, a learning. But it's become a bad word where discipline kind of no. means spanking. So you got to no. kind of unpack that when you say, well, we have discipline in our home. And I'm like, but we, don't, no, no, no. <laughs> we don't spank or anything like we're not, you know, savages. Speaking of spanking, just to clear that out, I think that mm-hmm. we both don't spank or use corporal punishment. One just like, it's just mean, but also it just doesn't work. Um, there are tons of studies showing that spanking does not work. It just like is not an effective consequence. What you, what you teach them is that that the bigger person can hit the smaller person to get what they want. And so the, the incidents of kids who get spanked going and hitting other kids and then like look out when they're 17 and they're bigger than you are. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's there could not be more 
example studies over the years that hitting your kid, even if you're calm, even if you do it with plenty of warrant, like there's no way to enact physical violence on your kid that is, is good for them. And, and I think your point is so great because even if you don't have a moral qualm with it, um, it's ineffective. You may like correct a specific behavior out of fear in the short term, but, um, yeah, you're gonna you, you're you're creating more problems for yourself than than you're solving. I think what we do then is we overcorrect. Is we say, look, parents fifty years ago used a lot of spanking, a lot of hitting. Watch this. I'm gonna go no discipline, um, and the kids are gonna kind of do whatever they want. I mean, there was a 2013 study about three different categories. There's authoritative, which is a, a parenting style where the parents are nurturing, responsive, and supportive, but they set firm limits. Then there's authoritarian, high levels of parental control but then poor responsiveness, pretty much no communication with the kid, and it's like my road or the highway. And then there's permissive, where kids can do whatever they want, explore anything. If the kid walks in and shatters a glass on purpose because it likes the sound, it's like, oh, he's exploring, you know, that sort of thing. And, and the results were, were pretty clear that authoritarian, you know, the dictatorship uh, had, you know, serious issues for the socialization of the kid in school. Um, permissive didn't really have an influence, but the kids, you know, had some stress because they didn't really know what was going on. And authoritative had a positive influence on their, um, their, their school socialization. So that's kind of where we're getting to, where it seems like the, the data is saying it's good to have limits, mm-hmm. but then love and nurturing within those limits. But then how do you enforce those limits? You know, and everyone's been there when it's like, if, if I, if you do that one more time, we're turning this car around or Hey, and then what do you do? Mm-hmm. The natural feeling as an ape is to yell. Yeah. And you just freak out. That's not <laughs> correct. So what it- Well, and and I think the other thing when you when you don't have a plan at that point you first made and when you go into it angry, then then whatever consequences or discipline you deliver, the goal stops being teaching and and helping a kid understand why that behavior isn't going to work and it becomes punitive. Like, I got pudding on my face, asshole, so you're going to feel some pain now. And and kids just, right, that's like, that's the prison, that's prison rules. Like, you did <laughs> yeah, this, so exactly. this is going to happen. And it breeds deviousness in kids. Like, you may get some compliance, but as soon as you're not looking, like, they're just, at that point, they're just trying to avoid getting in trouble. Because what you've taught them is to avoid the bad feeling of your punishment, and you've also taught them that you're capable of being a little bit of a dick. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just not ideal. I mean, what what I try to do is lay down the ground rules, stay calm, not yell, and then do some sort of consequence at the end of the line. Like especially if they're young, you know, find something that's not super crazy to take away and put above a fridge or something. It it, it creates. See, I, so so yeah. this is where we get into like some interesting. Disagreements, okay, yeah. Like, there there are times you're right when when the consequences make themselves. You know, if our five year old is too rough with uh, our seven month old, our seven month old starts crying, and then our five year old feels like shit, and we pick up the seven month old to comfort her, and they're not playing together anymore. So that kind of like takes care of itself. But I think there are times when when you do have to impose the consequences yeah, because it's like your kid draws on your so, wall. So what would you do if this, if, if your, if your older child uh, went up and the, the younger child was playing with something, it was a baby, baby toy. It's for the baby. But then the older child comes up and is like, I, I want to, I want this. And then grabs it 
and just kind of in a quick thing. And you say, oh, no, that, and then the baby starts crying. So you say, oh, no, that was for the baby. You got to give it back. And they're like, no. And then they're, they're freaking out. What I would do, and and this is, has worked, it's, it's a lot of pain. I try to find something maybe that, First of all, I try to do redirection and just say, look, we'll get you with this one. You use this toy. You use that toy. We'd try to get through it. But every once in a while, you're going to go toe to toe and they're going to try to take you to the limit. Mm-hmm. The key for me is I try to stay calm. And then if I'll just say, look, if you do that, then I'll try to find something that isn't super devastating, but just shows that there are consequences like this coloring book that you haven't used in four days. Oh, then I'm going to put your coloring book above the fridge. If you don't give that back. Okay, I'm going to count to three. You have three seconds. One, two, three. And then I'll slowly <laughs> pry it from their Dude, hands. Dude, the prying from the hands is... <laughs> I've, I've been but, there, but like that shit, nothing yeah. makes my five-year-old matter yeah. than, than that. Because again, what you're telling them in that moment is, I'm stronger than you, so I'm yep. going to take this. But and that's. I, I feel in post-game analysis, as long as you take it in a calm manner and you've given a, an explicit warning, letting them know, here's what's going to happen, and blah, 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 you take it away, you put the silly coloring book from four days ago above the fridge, consequences are done, and you let them cry, and you can comfort them and say, yep, no, that's what happened, yeah, and you sit with them, and you can, whatever. Now, in a post-game analysis, if I did it exactly like that, which I do maybe one out of four times, I'm like, oh. <laughs> killed it i'll go to my wife i'll be like yeah we we did i did a great job and then that child will have great um like you know what's the word not like they'll act great for the next like month or two if they do the same thing again i'll say hey uh can we give that back then the give back will happen because they know that there are consequences now some other times when you're kind of stressed or this or that it happens quicker maybe you're using a loud voice and the rip the pry is more like a rip yeah. In post-game analysis, I will acquiesce and say, yeah, I messed up on that one. That is, we've talked about this. Like, neither of us ever hit our kids, but when we're really mad, what we find ourselves doing is you just do things so fast. You <laughs> yeah. just pick them up, and then you're just walking oh. real fast. And they're like, oh, man, dad is like in turbo mode. I'm going to make you feel G-forces right now. <laughs> I'm going to pick you up yeah. and move around this corner and show you that I'm like a little Tron car that can take a 90 degree angle so fast. You, you get into that, like playing with that boundary of like, I'm bigger and stronger than you are. So here's what's going to happen. So I think one of the things that helps me a lot in moments like that. And again, a lot of times we're talking about ideals here. A lot of times the ideal way to handle something takes time and you don't always have max time. But to me, it's like if my five-year-old took something from the baby, she knows she's not supposed to do that. She knows she wants to have a good relationship with the baby. She knows that she wants to have a good relationship with me. If I say give that back and she doesn't do it, it's because she can't right in that moment. And she can't for whatever reason because she is not doing okay. Yeah. Like whether it's that she sensed my anger, even though I was really trying to like be calm, you know, kids are... They can tell. Yeah. What's up, Dad? Um, I said something in the calmest voice the other day, and my five-year-old was like, why are you mad? And I was like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad. They You're know. Mad. They um, know. But anyways, I, so I think if you were able to go to your older kid, the, the transgressor, and say, you're having a hard time. Are you doing okay? Do you want a hug? Do you, and then help them see, like, 
do you see like your sister so bummed out right now? She was playing with that. And like, it's going to be hard for y'all to keep playing together. If you have that thing that she had that you took out of her hands. And if, if you can recreate the connection with the kid who has done the thing they weren't supposed to do and get to the point where they want to do the right thing. Cause they do want to do the right thing. I think that's a mistake we make with kids all the time. And it, th- this is probably my most common mistake is talking to my daughter. Like you should know better. How many times have we talked about this? Yeah. When you're five, knowing better goes only so far. And then if you're, if they're upset, if they're wound up, if they're angry, if they feel a power struggle, they like neurodevelopmentally can't do that shit. Yeah. They can't do the thing that they want to do. So it's like, I think the ideal is getting them back to a place where they can. It doesn't always happen. No. And I think that like, that's, that's a really interesting thing. Like my, my sister's a behavioral specialist with a master's degree that works with, uh, people like autistic kids mm-hmm. and the techniques that they use a lot of times she's talked to you know me a lot almost helped a lot with with how we parent is uh, there's a redirection technique where you redirect um, and that's kind of what you what you just did there um, I was kind of hitting it head-on you know putting consequences at you know like real right in your face and, I, and we do try to redirect a lot and use that nurturing technique I guess um, at least one of our kids has like a every once in a while, once every six months, very uh, sure-headed or stubborn, like pit bull style. And I think that maybe it's something genetic with like how I would attack a company or try to close a deal. But sometimes it's like, we'd have to wait there and hug for, I'm not even exaggerating, hour and a half. Yeah. And that's the thing is, and usually the right parenting just takes more time and more of you having your shit together. Yeah. Like, cause you got it in that whole hour and a half where you're just like, I'm just going to hug you. And they're like, fuck you, dad. You got to never be like, fuck you too. This episode is brought to you by Violet Archer in the case of the purple Martin. It's a chapter book with illustrations on every page. You can read it to them if they're five, six year olds, but then as soon as they can read up till 12, 13, it's an insanely good book with plot twists, like worthy of an adult's attention. I love this thing. I'm so proud of Matt and Milkless of putting this thing out. So if you want to support Milkless and get an awesome book for your kids, it'd mean a whole lot to us if you bought it. Check the podcast description for the link to Amazon and buy it today. And if you already have it, you can pop back into Amazon and give us an honest review. Thanks. Would you say that that always works with your older child? Like, like what's the worst one? Does it ever oh, they just insist yeah. on so, not acquiescing? So... I, my daughter for a while went through this phase where she would barely touch her dinner because she just was too interested in other things. This is maddening. This is like a lot of our conflicts are around eating because she just won't eat. And then we'll get in bed. We'll get all ready for bed. We'll read stories. I'll sing songs. And then like right when it's time to go to sleep. Oh, yeah. I'm hungry. Then I am hungry. <laughs> and then she got, she got to the point where she's like, Dad, I'm scared to tell you. But I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, let me just jump in really quick. The other night, same thing with ours. This is not my proudest moment, but a kid wouldn't eat dinner. And then I'm like, dude, you're going to be hungry. It happens every night. I'm like, you're going to be hungry later. And you're going to ask me to your point. He didn't really have that foresight, but then he's like, I'm so hungry in bed. I'm like, fine. You want a banana? He's like anything. So I run up and get a banana and I'm like, eat it. Eat the banana. <laughs> I'm like, eat the banana. I'm like, oh, and in oh, retrospect, no. I was like, and then he's eating. He ate like five sixths of it. 
There's one and a half more bites. He's like, I'm done. I'm like, you finish that banana. <laughs> he's he's yeah. in his bed. I wasn't like that scary, but it was more scary than not scary. I'm just like, eat the banana. Because yeah. yeah. I had already gone through an hour bedtime. I'm reading books. I'm singing songs. I'm You're out of gas, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're out of fucking gas. Well, that's the thing. When you get mad, it slips into the punitive. Because like, what is he learning from finishing a banana he doesn't want? Yeah. It's just like, no, you have made my night shitty, kid. <laughs> Finish your goddamn banana. I so all right. So we went like she was doing okay. this every night, and I was like, I got to figure out a way to break it. And so there was one night where I was just like, we're like, once we get in this room, we're not leaving the room. And I checked in with her, her so many times at dinner, da da da. And she does do things to avoid sleep. So it's also hard to tell is she really hungry or does she just really not want to sleep? Yeah. And the person who knows the answer to that question the least is her. Yeah. She doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't know when she's hungry. That's one thing I've come to learn is she doesn't really have a good read on what's going on with her in that way. But anyways, this one night, it's like once we go in the bedroom, we're not coming out. Like you got to eat enough. We're not coming out. And I swear to God, for 45, 45 minutes, I stood, there's like this narrow doorway before the door out of our bedroom. I just sat in that doorway and tried as gently as possible to catch her as she ran at me as hard <laughs> as she could over and over and tried to like tickle me to like get under my legs and like everything. Red Rover, Red was, Rover. It was such a mess. And I like, I would be laughing one minute, but then she'd do something that hurt. And as soon as you get hurt, you know, you're like, no one makes me bleed my own blood. Exactly. And so, and I remember in that night feeling like, what the hell do I do here? Like, I feel like she would do this forever. Like she would do this until physically of exhaustion, she fell to the ground and our relationship would never be the same. They can really back you into a corner. But I think what the lesson that I learned from that, from her just trying, you know, basically doing like running back drills to yeah. my linebacker for 45 minutes was at that point, it wasn't even about the food. It was about winning. And it was kind of about winning for both of us. I had let a five-year-old rope me into a power struggle. And so I had to remove myself from the equation and just be like, okay, if you need more food, I'm not going to keep you from getting more food, but I'm not going to be involved in this anymore. And you're going to have to do that by yourself. And I don't know if that was the right way to handle it, but it at least took out the power struggle component. Yeah. I think that as long as you do a debrief with your partner and figure out anything you could have done better, sometimes the best we can do is the best we can do. Um, but I think that that power struggle where you need to, to, to win is weirdly important and doesn't really involve ego. It involves like a logical plan in that you set boundaries and you kind of need to stick to those. Uh, otherwise that's how you can, can lose control of the discipline of the structure that if they know that they can just not eat dinner and then eat chocolate every night, then why would you ever eat dinner? So that's the hard thing. And I think that being able having the patience and, and, you know, awareness and game plan with your partner, whether that is, you know, putting something above the fridge in a calm manner or sitting with your child and chatting with them for 45 minutes to, you know, to calm them down or catching them from leaving the room, which, you know, I've done that at times. And afterward, having a debrief with your partner, it's super important. It's like, if you don't have a plan, it's just too chaotic. You're going to lose it. And then you don't feel good. Like no, no parent after yelling, maybe, 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 maybe the instant after they're like, yeah. <laughs> they needed that. <laughs> Sick burn, motherfucker. Well, one hour later, 
the parents are like, yeah, even if they don't admit it, it that doesn't feel good. good. So yeah. having that plan, I think, is important. So, Matt, what would you say to, to parents out there who maybe are, are feeling, you know, what we're feeling at some points where, man, it's just like overwhelming or maybe they don't have control of, you know, their, their kids and they feel like the kids can do whatever they want. Like they can interrupt you while you're chatting with your partner and that you just have to talk to them at that exact moment, even if you're talking about something important and you haven't talked to your partner in 24 hours. In 20, yeah. What would you say? Some, some tips. It's tough because this is not like an easy silver bullet answer, but I think if that you probably got to start before the discipline to, to us, the most powerful source of discipline for our five-year-old and our seven-month-old, she has no discipline. But for our, five, for our five-year-old, the most powerful source of discipline is that she wants to feel connected and in a good relationship with us. And we do with her, too. Um, and so I think that having that relationship with them where they feel seen, feel like they know that you love them all the time, they feel connected to you. We are a lot less authoritarian with our kids than a lot of other parents are, but I think our daughter is also pretty well behaved. And I think it's because she doesn't want us, she doesn't want to do things that she knows that we don't like and that we've explained the reason that we don't like and it's a decent reason. Um, when you are out of gas and feel like you're going to yell, tell your kid. I, whenever I'm pissed and it's not at Laurel, I try to tell her. Like if I come home and I've had a bad day of, at work, I try to immediately, immediately be like, I'm out of gas. It's not you, but I'm not going to be very patient. Um, that's great. And then, and then I think the other, the other really guiding principle I have is try to always, as much as you possibly can have the consequences be attached to the behavior. So it's like, if you won't eat your food at dinner time, well, then dinner time's going to run over and we're not going to have time to read our stories tonight. That's just what happened. We ran out of time and bedtime's bedtime. Um, and, and trying to, in those cases where you have to manufacture the equivalent of, oh, if you fall off this wall, you will get hurt, have it connected to the behavior as much as possible. Because I think anytime you get into random punishment, like if you hit your sister, I'll take this toy, then it's punitive and they feel it that way. And ultimately what they learn is to avoid the punishment, not to not do the behavior. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think what we also do sometimes with the hitting, instead of, instead of like if, if our three-year-old will hit uh, one of the older kids or something f- for no reason or something, we'll give a warning. So look, if this happens again, we're going to go to the room together. She hits again. Then she, we just remove her from the situation. And then that's kind of like the punishment that you don't get to like hang out with the big kids anymore because you just hit them twice in the, in the face. First of all, we obviously check to make sure they're okay, the big guys. But then we, we take her and I'll just sit in the room. Similar, sometimes it's running back drills. And, but we sit, stay calm, and I'll sit in there with her. Not like nurture and like be like, oh, you poor thing for hitting your brother. But just like, no, we're just going to sit in here together for a little bit till we calm down. Well, and the other thing I think is that if, they, if she hits her brother, eventually she's going to have to come back and say she's sorry to her brother. Yeah. And, um, and there's this real fine line between guilt and shame that I think Brene Brown, she defines it awesomely. She's like, guilt is I did something bad, super useful, really good for learning. Shame is I am bad, which is never helpful to anyone, basically. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I think that not forcing them, but like, Hey, eventually we're going to have to fix this with your brother that you hit. They feel the guilt. They get to see their brother's face. They have to say they're sorry. That's a pretty strong pun, you know, punishment. It's, that's not something they really want to do. Have to feel the feelings of like, Oh, I hurt this person. That doesn't feel good. hundred percent. And I, you know, have always kind of done that a little bit. I didn't even realize, but I always kind of try to empathize and give a little empathy siphon to kind of let them let it get it started and kind of say, as we're walking back upstairs, I'm like, just think about would Grant ever hit you? You know, how would that feel? And it's like, oh no, I wouldn't. He wouldn't. So then it's like, yeah, that would hurt, right? Would that make you feel sad? You know, that type of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it's it's hard for kids. One of the one of the challenges that we've had with our oldest is she'll do something bad, and then she'll feel so bad, she'll get mad at. She'll get additionally mad. She's like, I hit you and I feel so bad. I'm mad at you because you made me feel bad for your face hurting when I hit you. Oh, always the one who hits is the one who cries their eyes out. Right. And it's like, okay, I get it. But But it's better. It's it's better than them hitting and being like, yep. (laughs) Right. True. But also that's another one where if you don't have a game plan, I've definitely heard myself saying, what are you crying for? You're the one who hit. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. What are you crying about? Um, Um, Yeah. I had recently this interaction with my daughter that kind of broke my heart um, where she, my daughter is such a good kid, but uh, she told me the other day that she just didn't feel like we thought she was that good a kid. Oof. Yeah. And I was like, baby, then I have messed up because I think you're like this good a kid. And we, you know, we talked about it, but I think one of the things that I was doing is when you were saying how you start to foster the repair, Hey, would your brother ever hit you using words like ever? I do this all the time. How many times have we talked about this? I would never do that to you. Why does this keep happening? Mm -hmm. And what you do is you take it out of guilt, which is like this thing that you did. Yeah that hurt me or that whatever and into shaming a, a character attack yeah. that is fundamentally shaming. And so like I am really working now. And, and after she said this to me, cause I kind of asked her like, what's a way that I could tell you something without making you feel so bad? Because sometimes I do need to be able to tell you if something's not going to work. And the way she said it, one, it was like in a friendly tone, but it was also so specific to, to that thing that she had just done. And I think we have this tendency as adults to like, because it's the same shit over and over, it's how many times we talked about you not eating your food, how many times we we go to that character attack. And for kids, they're taking so much in. It's like, just treat it like an isolated incident every time. Yeah. And they'll learn. And they won't feel like a bad person. A hundred percent. And you know what? I've never worked this into my, you know, our game plan. And I realize now that I do this when I'm stressed. Um, if I'm stressed and just trying to do one, th- like I've just been a, an A plus dad for two and a half hours. I'm like playing all these games, no phone, I'm with them. And then I, I something comes in, let's say an email, and it's something stressful, somewhat work related. I'm kind of like a little stressed. And then in the back of my mind, I'm not playing my game plan of being a good dad. And I think that, well, I've just earned two and a half hours of good dad time. So now just give me 30 seconds. And then they, they step out of line. If I was present and working on the game plan, it'd be fine. I'd get down to their level. We'd work on it. But the amount of times that I've then kind of like thrown a glance across and kind of shot daggers at one of the older kids, like, 
what, or even said, what are you doing? That's like total shame zone. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, in retrospect, I got to work that into the game plan because that's not effective. I mean, I guess you just, I got to be like, hey, not cool. I'm going to finish this and we're going to chat, brother. Yeah. Like, yeah. We got to talk about that. Yeah. That doesn't like, work. What are you doing? You're smarter than that. You know better. I know. Yeah. Ugh. Comes out though. It's this thing where we really, I think so often we feel like kids should know better when they either don't or even though they do, developmentally, they can't stop themselves. Well, let me just throw something out because you've, you've got me pretty much convinced here that shame is not good. Um, I, I, we should probably look up a study on this. But shame worked for me um, when I was a football player. I remember one time I scored my first touchdown and my coach who was an old school like older guy, I celebrated and, and, and whatever. And he's like, he grabbed me by my helmet in front of the whole team. and was just like, Valverde act like you've been there before and then threw me away. And that kind of like, I think about that all the time and mm. maybe it did make me a little sad or whatever, but also I learned so much from it cause it, I respected him so much and I was kind of like, yeah, like he's right. As opposed to like, if he had sat me down and been like, hey, Max, you know, here's the thing. Like, if you want to really act like a pro athlete, blah, blah, blah like it's, it's, it's really like nice to just pretend like you've been there before. But he shamed me. Well, I don't worked. know. If he, it's tricky because he did it in front of other people. I mean, there's two, there's a couple of things that stick out about that story to me. One is you respected him so much. So the relation, when I say like, if you're just dealing with punishment, back up and, and try to work on the relationship first. You had the relationship where you respected yeah. him, you respect his opinion. But I, I don't like, to me, if he had grabbed you by the helmet and said, like, what kind of person does that? True. That's fucked up. Yeah. But what he did is he taught. Yeah. He said, the way you handle this moment is you act like you've been there before. Yeah. And he said him mad, et cetera. He didn't do it perfectly, but I don't think he shamed you. He talked about that specific answer, th that specific moment and the way you behaved in that mm -hmm. specific moment. He didn't attack your character. He just said, True. here's how you do this. Mm. I, I generally, yeah. I mean, like, I think that, that shame is like one of the most dangerous human emotions. Shame is like, you know, Germany got their ass kicked in World War I and felt national shame. Yeah. Like, I, I just think shame is a, like a scary, scary road to go down. Yeah. But I think guilt is, guilt is a natural thing to feel and a, and a really good behavioral corrective. You do something, you hurt somebody, you feel bad for that thing. It's the act yeah. that is that is not good. It's never like, why would you do something like that? Like, you're better than that. Because then you're not just addressing this specific thing that happened. You're dredging up. You're saying, you as a person did is this yeah. bad. Like, yeah. it's almost like it's inevitable that you were going to do that because, like, I didn't realize you were such a shitty person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you just can't eat food. I guess you just never, every night, just <laughs> will never figure out food. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's how, you, yeah, that's, that's how you give your child an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. What about you? What do you feel like? What do you feel like has worked really well for you? Yeah. You know what? I think everybody's going to be different, but really I'd say it's all about having a plan where you and your partner are on the same page on how you're going to create structure, create discipline, handle bedtime, handle dinner time, handle acting out, and then creating a feedback loop where you chat about it after. 
everybody's got different techniques. You know, you meet with other parents, you listen to this podcast, listen to other ones, and there's good ones, there's different ones, and you and I differ in some of how we do it, but I think what we both do is we make a plan with our partner, and then you have a post-game analysis, because knowing who you want to be, I think, is more important even than, like, acing it all the time, because if you don't have that feedback loop afterward with yourself or your partner where you say, how'd we do today? Yeah, oh my gosh, the kid was an effing tyrant tonight. I cannot believe that. We handled it well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stoked about how we handled it. I think we're going to be good going forward. Or, dude, I totally fucked mm-hmm. it up. Like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Parents mess up all the time. Parenting is so damn hard. But knowing when you step out of line as a parent, it's like, oh man, I, I slammed the table. I've hit the table like twice where I like hit the dining room table mm-hmm. and say, we don't do that here in this house. Like when someone yeah. like did something totally heinous, well then I did something heinous on top and yeah. hit the dining room yeah. table. It's like, what am I doing? Yeah, I slammed a wall. She punched me in the balls unprovoked and I just, <laughs> I slammed the wall and I yelled, fuck. Cause it, yeah. well, and this is actually, this gets to, this gets to, because I agree with you that I have a plan, but you know that famous Mike Tyson quote, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the face. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to have yeah. an upcoming episode. That's about, uh, uh, rage. That's about anger and dealing with anger as a parent, because I do think that's the second half to that equation, have a plan, but then also have the tools to to keep yourself in a place personally, the same way that the kid has to be in a place where they can follow the rules. You got to be in a place where you can execute the plan and not slam the wall. Right. And the plan needs to be constantly adapting. Just like I just learned about shame. I'd never really even thought about shame as working it into the plan. I'm working it in. And then the other thing, just like when you do slam the table or yell fuck when you get hit in the balls, then you now you've probably maybe worked that in that like, okay, next time that sort of thing happens, I'm going to be ready for it because I worked it into the plan. I talked with my partner that like, ah, this bad thing happened. I flew off the handle. It wasn't cool. Like maybe next time or whatever. And then next time maybe you do it again, but then you debrief again, chat through it. So yeah. And repair. And when, when you fuck up, you know, not only debrief with your partner, but when you, when you feel like you've really botched it on the discipline front, repair that with your kid. Yeah. Otherwise they'll start to feel that authoritarian vibe in that, look, whoa, mom and dad don't play by the same rules. Interesting. I'm not allowed to hit, but then when they hit the table, they're not going to apologize. You know, it's super important that when you step out of line that you also, you know, come clean on it and follow the same rules you're making your kids follow. Yeah. And I, and I like that you always acknowledge how often you fuck this up. That's, that's equally true. So often I go back and I'm like, Oh man, I handled that terribly. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the most important thing is just knowing when you step out of line and don't sugarcoat it with yourself. But when you when you fuck up, what you tell yourself is I didn't do that well. Yeah. What you don't tell yourself is I am a bad parent. Nice. Love it. If you're gonna hit him, use a phone book though, because then like there's no one perusing, you know. <laughs> I thought I thought it was a potato in in a sock. A potato. That's the code red, right? Or uh, Gomer Pyle and oh like yeah, that, maybe or, or no, bar of soap in a sock. Gomer Pyle and full. Yeah, but then that's also you can't handle the truth. That's a few good men too, don't they? Brought to you by Violet Archer. I like it because they're solving the case.